Listener Production. We're done with the cover-up. We're not going to bring you in a saucer or a little green man. That's not what it's going to be about. And I know, y'all, every time you play this interview with one of us, you play the theme from X-Files. I get it. But the reality is the American public deserves to know. That is one of the US politicians who's been pushing for a congressional inquiry into UFOs and what the US intelligence agencies really know about them. So this week, a congressional subcommittee hearing has actually begun and it heard testimony from the whistleblower alleging a huge cover-up within the Pentagon. The former Air Force intelligence officer claims they are holding non-human remains. Do we have the bodies of the pilots who piloted this craft? As I've stated publicly already in my News Nation interview, uh, biologics came with some of these recoveries, yeah. Were they, I guess, human or non-human biologics? Non-human, and that was the assessment of people uh, with direct knowledge on the program I talked to that are currently still on the program. Wild stuff. So in this episode of The Briefing, we're going to learn more about what that whistleblower, David Grush, said in the hearing. As raising questions about UFOs goes from the dark corners of the internet all the way to the US Congress. First, here are today's headlines with Jan Fran. It is Friday, the 28th of July. Hello, Tom. Hello, everyone. I reckon our Matildas are waking up today with some heavy heads, some sore bodies after Mm. their loss to Nigeria in Brisbane last night. It pains me to bring this news. Uh, They lost in a disastrous 3-2 loss and they'll likely now have to beat, well, they will have to beat Canada to avoid an exit from uh, the group stage in the World Cup. Certainly something no one wanted. Mm. Um, They were up 1-0 before half-time, looking good, and then Nigeria just hit straight back uh, and then netted two more in the second half, meaning they were up 3-1. The Matildas will, like I said, have to win against Canada on Monday to be assured of getting into the knockout round. Not going to be easy, though, Tom, because Canada are the reigning Olympic champions, I know. Yeah, and how tragic would it be if Sam Kerr didn't get back on the field um, after her calf injury and played no part in the World Cup? That is the news we're all hanging on. You know, can she be there for the next game against Canada? Absolutely. All eyes are going to be on Sam. I mean, the the prospect of her just not playing in the World Cup at all, I don't think was something that anyone imagined. We have a really strong team going into this competition. So to have Nigeria at one point in the match last night, they were up 3-1 and they were up 3-1 in front of a 50,000-strong crowd uh, and I can only imagine that there would have been quite a few people um, feeling a bit shell-shocked mm. by that. Yeah, and the coach, um, Tony Gustafsson, is coming under a bit of scrutiny for not putting um, on more attacking um, substitute changes. He didn't put any on until the 85th minute when... Um, Nigeria had already made some key changes and he had been talking about the depth of the squad, but he didn't seem to want to trust it last night. And here we are with a result no one's happy with. Mm, Let's hope he makes some better decisions ahead of Monday. And there's been a total of five shootings in Sydney in just the last week with two men dying yesterday. Um, Now, New South Wales police have launched a task force called Task Force Magnus to investigate the spate of shootings. We will be throwing 100 extra police officers at this, specifically at this task force for the investigation and the proactive arm of the operation. That's Karen Webb, the police commissioner in New South Wales. She's under pressure to stop this violence that's gripped the city since the shooting of the cocaine kingpin Alan Mordian in Bondi in early July. 
We've seen some shocking attacks in Sydney in the last month, Jan, some of them very close to home for you. Yeah, well, I mean, when you say spilling out onto the streets, I think you're absolutely right. For people who don't live in Sydney, it's a very sprawling city and these uh, shootings have taken place right across the city, all the way from Bondi in the east uh, to uh, a number of suburbs in, in western Sydney as well. The danger here is that uh, innocent people get caught up in the crossfire. Uh, the one that happened, in, there was a shooting that happened in Marrickville. Um, I, know, I know you just said it was uh, close to home there for me. I don't live too far away from the place where it happened. It happened in broad daylight right across the road from Anthony Albanese's office. Of course, he's the member for Graindler where the suburb sits. And it happened on a very busy road. That's a main road. It's got shoppers, pedestrians, mm. cyclists, people in cars, I stroll my kid on that road close to every day, several times a week for sure. Mm. It's very easy for someone who has nothing to do with any of this to be caught up in it, and that's you know, that's particularly terrifying. That one was outside a hairdresser, wasn't it? It was exactly outside a hairdresser, oh. yeah. An incredibly brazen attack, and there have been a few since. There was a, a attack where two innocent people were injured after straight bullets hit their car. Uh, it sort of could happen in, in any of these shootings, unfortunately. And more than 25,000 vapes have been seized in a raid on a Melbourne shop. Um, this is largely seen as a crackdown that's aimed at sending a very clear message to other stores. So the federal government announced a clampdown on vapes in April and their plan was to stamp out illegal nicotine products that were aimed at teenagers. Now, public health experts say that if there's no tighter border controls, uh, we're going to continue to see stores trade in illegal nicotine vape products aimed at teens. So that's what they're calling for, um, stricter border controls uh, nationally, which we're sort of yet to see. Yeah, we need to see lots more of these crackdowns. I think this is good news, 25,000 vapes. Um, I'm sure we there's a lot more we need to um, seize, but there was another seizure um, in WA of 17,000 um, just recently. So we basically need a lot more of that to stop the illegal vapes. Some of these get into the hands of children. They're being sold in high schools. Vapes are illegal for people that get a prescription um, and need them for nicotine, but any other nicotine vapes are illegal and need to be stopped. And the era of global boiling has arrived. That's not really a term that I wanted in my vocabulary at all, but <laughs> it is a term that has uh, been said by the head of the UN, Antonia Guterres. This is because new research has found that July is set to be the Earth's hottest month on record as extreme heat and wildfires hit the Northern Hemisphere. Uh, this is data that has been published by the UN and the EU's top climate agencies, and it shows that the average temperature for the first three weeks of July is tracking significantly higher than the current record, which was just set in 2019, mind you. It also found 21 of the Earth's 30 hottest individual days on record have occurred this month. Oh, global boiling, Tom. How's that for a phrase? Yeah, I just sort of imagine us sitting in this bath and it just gets hotter and hotter and hotter, which is pretty much what's happening. When we talk about the global record, you know, the warmest month on record, yes, we just beat the recent record in 2019, but what that means is that we're talking about possibly the record temperature in tens or thousands of years. So it's not a good place to be. No, it's not a good place to be. I think, I think we might need to leave Earth for a while, Tom. You're talking <laughs> UFOs next, no? 
Well, they're talking about um, crashed UFOs. We need one to actually land that we can all jump on and get out of here ASAP. All right, Jam, we'll catch you again soon. I am talking UFOs. I was informed in the course of my official duties of a multi-decade UAP crash retrieval and reverse engineering program, to which I was denied access to those additional read-ons when I uh, requested it. I made the decision, based on the data I collected, to report this information to my superiors and multiple inspectors general, and in effect becoming a whistleblower. That was the UFO whistleblower David Grush giving evidence in the US Congressional House Oversight Subcommittee yesterday. That committee is pushing for more transparency about what government agencies are collecting about unidentified flying objects. Now, Grush is a former Air Force intelligence officer, and he was one of three people giving evidence at this committee hearing. He made sensational claims about a secret program in a TV interview last month. Now he's speaking in the hearing. Let's find out what he said and how we got to the point where these allegations are being heard in Congress rather than in a small, crazy corner of the internet. Nick Pope was watching it closely. He worked for the British government's UFO project for three years in the early 90s, and he left the UK Department of Defence in 2006. Ever since, he's worked as a journalist writing and reporting about UFOs. Nick, thanks for joining us. Can you start by telling us why these congressional hearings are even happening? Essentially because... Both military pilots and intelligence community officers who have run programs relating to the research and investigation of this have been coming forward and saying, uh, we've not been getting the full story from the US government. And there's now uh, whistleblower protection for this sort of thing in the current defense bill. So it's really Congress has said, wait a minute, you know, the the US government told us there was nothing to it. And now we find out that uh, our pilots are seeing these things, radar operators are tracking them, and the intelligence community has been studying them. But we knew that already, didn't we, that they they study these sightings and and try and work out what they are. What's the sort of real allegation at the centre of this? What are they really trying to uncover? Well, we've gone today with the hearing to a whole different level because it's one thing to say that you've seen a UFO and that's fair enough. Most of them turn out to be misidentifications. So it's it's good to have the pilot stories. But yeah, we've we've even heard some of that before. But what was different today is that we heard from somebody who verifiably has sat at the heart of the US intelligence community at senior level studying this, who says the United States government or elements of it have been running covert programs uh, that have been looking at this without congressional oversight. And not only that, but he goes on to talk about recovered craft and non-human intelligences. Now, it's one thing to have this in a conspiracy forum somewhere on the internet. But it's quite another thing to have it on the floor of the Congress in the United States. So that's what's changed. So who is this whistleblower? What position did they hold? He was a GS-15, which is, uh, although he's actually former Air Force, he transitioned into the civilian intelligence community. GS-15 is the equivalent of a full colonel. 
And some years ago, the United States set up something called the UAP Task Force, Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force. And each part of the US intelligence community was asked to nominate a representative who would sit on this. David Grush is one of these people. His background checks out. His credentials are impeccable. Congress vetted him. He is who he said he is. He did what he said he did. And he's the one who says, look, some people uh, have been running these programs and we have wreckage and, and even intact craft. Now, it sounds unbelievable, but Congress has taken this seriously enough to hold hearings. And they were pretty angry about this today. Angry that things had been hidden from them, angry at the retribution that apparently whistleblowers like David Grush have experienced. And so what's now going on is that Congress is is trying to uh, obviously verify all of this. So what is he saying that they are holding? What kind of objects? He's been fairly vague on some of these details. Now, some of this is because he has not seen these things firsthand. And, and skeptics, of course, say, oh, well, if he hasn't seen it, it's just hearsay. Well, you know, when I worked uh, in the British government at the Ministry of Defence, lots of people worked on nuclear policy. Very few of those people had actually touched a nuclear missile. You know, the point is these things exist. And, and he says that other people in the intelligence community who were liaising on this research and investigation effort said it's all true. All these rumors that you've heard over the years about Roswell and crashes and wreckage and bodies, it's all true. If this is verified, this is going to be paradigm changing stuff. We'll have to rethink everything because previously, of course, this has been dismissed and, and people have laughed at this. And David Grush even said there's a kind of deliberate campaign to ridicule the whole mm. subject, to dissuade the mainstream media from taking this seriously. Look, the key point here is whether or not these unidentified flying objects are extraterrestrial or not. And that's why your experience from the 90s in the UK Department of Defence is really interesting because we can all get very concerned, suspicious, or even excited about you know, say a US intelligence agency secretly storing the wreckage of a UFO, but it's a lot less interesting if it's been identified as, say, a Russian drone or satellite rather than something extraterrestrial. So is there anything in this evidence from day one of this hearing in the US that suggests what we're talking about here is actually extraterrestrial? Well, David Grush was very careful not to use that word, although he used the phrase non-human intelligence because he said he wanted to keep the door open as to what this is. According to him, we just don't know what we're dealing with here. But I think the implication was clear. Although UFO sightings have multiple causes, and sure, some of them that I investigated turned out to be secret prototype aircraft, missiles, and drones. And that goes for anyone who's looked at this from inside government. But some of it seems to just go so beyond anything in our experience that, that even people on the inside just don't know what to make of it. That's the tricky thing with this whole space, that when you can't identify something... That means you can't say what it is. But the backdrop here is that 
it might be aliens or it might be something completely out of the world that we understand. But how do you ever bridge that gap between not knowing, fearing or, you know, being curious and actually being able to say that it's, it's something extraterrestrial? I mean, have we ever been able to cross that, that threshold? No, it may not be a gap that we can bridge. I, I mean, if, if you were to go back in time and show people in the Stone Age your smartphone, they would probably think it was a flat, shiny rock. Some things may be beyond our comprehension. And when we use words like alien or, or something like that, they, these are just labels we put on something. And it may be forever beyond our understanding. Every time you know, James Webb Space Telescope or the Large Hadron Collider comes out with new uh, results about the universe or new particles, you kind of scratch your head and you think, you know, the world every day we find out is slightly different from the world we thought we lived in. So reflecting on your experience in the UK Department of Defence where you're investigating UFOs in the early 90s, Nick, um, you've written about the way you went about that job that you would collect these records of sightings and then go about investigating them, collecting information, trying to find out whether you could match them with any real-world events like the launch of a a weather balloon or, or any other kind of aircraft. So what do you think is actually going on in in the US after hearing the testimony today. Are we just learning more about a similar process that you were a part of, of recording sightings and trying to find out what they were? Are we just hearing about that, but getting a bit more detail and realizing that some of it had to be kept confidential? Or is there something else going on? We may be in completely new territory here. Back when I did this in the 90s, we considered the extraterrestrial hypothesis. I I mean, of course, but we had no smoking gun. David Grush today told Congress there is a smoking gun. And he said to them, if we could just get into a secure, classified information facility where where this information can be handed over to people with the appropriate clearances, he said, I can give you the receipts, you know, the, the specifics of where these things are, who's running the programs, what agency is involved. Uh, but he said, you know, if, if he does it in the unclassified setting, he will be arrested. So the smoking gun you're talking about there, it's a smoking gun that they're holding bits and pieces of unidentified aircraft that they haven't told us about, or is it a smoking gun that there is extraterrestrial involvement? It could be both. It could be both. I, I mean, it, it's very difficult. Even though I did this for the government, I don't hold a current security clearance. And the number of people in the United States who have been briefed on all of this, who knows? You, you Probably less than 10, if that. Are there legitimate reasons, you know, and reflecting on your own experience, are there legitimate reasons why they can't tell us everything about what they're collecting? Reasons other than the fact that it might be aliens? Well, part of it may have to do with technology. If if this is what some people think it might be, if an adversary was to learn what David Grush says and, and others say the US government has already learned, they might be able to, I, I don't know, construct next generation aircraft, missiles, drones, other weapons that would have catastrophic consequences. So there could be good reasons for some of the secrecy. But that doesn't mean that you couldn't at least hopefully tell part of the story. And if if elements in the US government know that we're not alone, why not just come out and say so? Even if they then say, but there's parts of it we can't tell you. 
So where is this congressional hearing going to go from here? Is David Grush the strongest witness or are there more to come that could be even more explosive? He's the strongest that we know so far, but it has been revealed that maybe as many as two dozen people have come forward, not least because of the fear of retribution. We don't have the names for those people yet, but by all accounts, some of them are still serving in either the government, the military, and the intelligence community, or fairly recently retired with direct knowledge of these programs and this physical evidence that David Grush has talked about. Okay, so for you as someone who's been working around this space for over 30 years, do you think we're on the the brink of some incredibly explosive discoveries as part of this hearing? I think we might be. I I really think we're on the threshold of it. We're closer than we've ever been, and there will be more hearings ahead, more people coming forward and testifying, more declassified videos, perhaps some satellite imagery too. I mean, this is exciting times for sure. Do you believe there's extraterrestrial life? Life out there, 100%. Life visiting us down here, well, it's beginning to look like it might be true. That was Nick Pope journalist and former official at the UK Department of Defence. And it's going to be fascinating to hear or see David Grush's claims tested properly. I'll be honest, it still seems very, 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 very far-fetched to me. I get that they could be collecting more evidence about these flying objects than they tell us about, but the claim they have non-human remains really need to see the hard or soft evidence on that. Hopefully, this congressional hearing can help us properly test those claims. All right, coming up on the weekend briefing, Jamila Rizvi, who are you interviewing this week? This weekend, I have had a chat with two women I have been busting to get on the weekend briefing. It's Kate McLennan and Kate McCartney, who are, of course, the duo behind Get Kraken and the catering show, the two of them have created an incredible new TV series. It's on Amazon Prime. It's called Deadlock. They say that they sold it into the Amazon executives in the US by describing it as broad church but funny. So it takes that kind of crime, drama, mystery sort of genre that has become so incredibly popular on streaming TV but they've totally turned it on its head. It is uniquely Australian. It is hysterically funny. And it was such a delight chatting to these two about their awesome, warm, supportive, but honest working relationship and also getting to hear a bit more about Deadlock. All right, looking forward to the Kates on the weekend briefing. Thank you so much for listening throughout the week. And thank you to our hardworking team, producer Helen Smith, uh, socials, Poppy Manzi, our editor, Matt Kuzkari, uh, Dan Mullins, producer, and the rest of the hardworking team here at Listener. Thank you, and we'll catch you Monday. Listener.